I'm rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. You know. So we've got a lot to talk about in these two episodes of Terra, but I want to start out by discussing the airline sky cans yeah i i thought it was c-a-n-s for a few and i'm like all right that makes sense you know it's made out of metal it's basically a big can that flies through the air but no it's sky kansas but sky cans right and i don't i mean it's obviously it's not a real airline and uh, how do they stay in business? I, these are very important questions that I have in my mind. I mean, this is... Pro- are there really a lot of people that want to fly from Kansas City to Tulsa? I figure in this... <laughs> the, the implication that I get from this episode, these episodes, that Sky Kansas is probably a very tiny, cheap budget airline that just pretty much stays in the Midwest. They probably and crashes a lot. Exactly. <laughs> no, they, they probably, you know, it's probably very cheap flights if you need to get from one place to the other. And there's enough need for that. I guess that I, I, I think it's, it's, it's interesting to me because, uh, you know, the show has never, I think at this point, cause you know, we're, we're halfway through the third season of, of Tara and the show is almost over. you know, even though it was sort of, killed before its time it does still come to an ending and yeah. i think the show is satisfying and we'll find out what happens in a, in a couple of weeks but i don't really know and this episode made me realize this consciously i think for the first time that i don't really know that the show necessarily knows what to do with kate yeah because kate uh, it's trying to have kate as somebody who doesn't know what to do with herself and somebody who is just going to do a bunch of random shit. I mean, my understanding of Diablo Cody's life is that she did a bunch of random shit before. Yeah. She had, so I, I, I always assumed that the Kate character was at least in some part biographical. It's uh, certainly possible. And yes, eventually Kate is going to get her shit together, but maybe that wouldn't have happened until season 13, for example. I mean, she is probably the kind of person who won't get her life together till she's in her 30s, but she's going to hell gonna have a hell of a time getting through there i mean i guess if you want to see what what kate figures out what to do with herself you got to watch the show girls you know i don't want to do that i know i watched it for two years and that was <laughs> enough yeah i think but that's yeah, true i mean that's that- that's that's what kate's gonna end up doing she's gonna end up in the city just doing a bunch of random shit again until she figures out what she wants to do yeah because she's already had you know quite a few careers yeah. in, in the short time that she's been a quote-unquote adult uh, and I think that, that you know, in the first episode, uh, Dr. Hatteras' magical elixir. Miracle elixir. Sorry. Uh, th- these titles, I'll tell you. And in the second one, the road to hell is paved with breast intentions. <laughs> it's, you know, the first episode that, that she's in, she's very, um, she's very disconnected from the rest of the show at this point. Yeah. You know, she very explicitly the show was was trying to get her out of Kansas. She was trying to escape, right? And we talked about that last week where yeah. it was sort of indicative of how she was trying to escape from her not abusive family, but a, a family that is trying, right? Yeah. And 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 it, but again, she which is a natural thing that she would be feeling at 19 and maybe a little extra pressure because of the I think a lot chaos. of extra pressure, yeah. pressure, honestly. But, you know, we can agree to disagree with that. One of us grew up in an abusive household. One did not. So there you go. Uh, not to get personal. <laughs> but I, I think that it, it is interesting to me in the first episode that she's in this training thing and she's got this, you know, uh, uh, hard as nails trainer I, who doesn't like Bunny. her. Bunny? Bunny is her name. And the the best way to describe Bunny is she is a tough cookie. 
It's the only way to... I love Bunny. She is one of my favorite secondary characters in this series. There's one thing that gay men know. It's brassy women. <laughs> but then, you know, so she goes through the training, and obviously she's going to succeed at the training because Kate succeeds at anything that she puts her mind to. Yeah. And then she, she decides, fi- once it gets hard, not to do it anymore, and that's her decision. But she's... Yes. You know what I mean? But yeah, I mean, I love this. I, I remembered that her training being more of an arc again this i i forgot how quick that yeah. that, that, that was just confined to one episode but the i mean i do love the part where she with the bag where she answers the real question there i mean again this is somebody who when she was 16 was reading the barnaby's manual i mean she did that with her flight attendants training stuff Absolutely. she knows all the rules backwards and forwards right and and you know it's it's funny to me because i don't know that there's a lot to say about what's going on with kate i think it's just an entertaining storyline yeah. to, to some degree and and obviously you know in the second episode she is back home and she's talking to her mother about this guy evan that she's met yeah and we well, don't know what's going on with him i thought evan was actually zach and he was they were pretending to not really know each other you know just to like all right clean slate you know hi or so but no, I mean, maybe maybe that's why Evan doesn't want to go out with Kate because she, be, be, because he doesn't she doesn't fucking recognize him, you know. He got a different haircut. I know, and she, she, a she different thinks suit. Some, she thinks he's somebody completely different. And it's very possible that it could be the same person. <laughs> he just had a little bit of plastic surgery, exactly, or you know, started wearing makeup. Well, her her storyline is is still really unresolved, and 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 I don't yeah. think that there's. You know, like I said, there's not too much to say about it. It's just kind of like, oh, she's doing this thing. She's she's finally learning her her um, her way out of the house. And to some well, degree, I think it's it's also indicative of the fact that she chooses to be a flight attendant. She chooses to be someone who travels for work for a living. You know, she doesn't. She's not going to be spending. Like, well, she's not going. to But the thing is, like, she's she's. But but but, but see. Well, now let me finish my point. Okay. Is that she's choosing to be a flight attendant on. Sky Cans, the Kansas airline, right? Which we think is just going within the Midwest. Well, that right. That's my point is that she's attempting to leave the house. She's attempting. I mean, very explicitly, she is getting a job where she's traveling away and she's on a plane all the time and she's Mm -hmm. constantly traveling. But I doubt that she's not spending every night at home because, again, it's a regional airline. Yeah. The the flights are probably 45 minutes. You know, she takes one flight and she goes back and does another flight and she's back home. The worst case is if, you know, every so often probably she has a flight to Omaha and then doesn't have the next schedule till the morning. So she sees a hotel. I mean, mean, I've known people who were flight attendants for even overseas flights, but you don't really get to – you see a ho- you see hotels. It's like when you're a business traveler, you don't really get to see the right. But my point is that she's not yeah. doing that. She's not on the flight to London. Yeah, exactly. she's not on the flight to Moscow. She's not on the flight to fill in the blank. She's on the flight to Omaha. Yeah, and and so you know she's attempting to leave the house, but at the same time she is choosing to work at an airline that enables her to still be at home that's and i think that that's that's Mm. it's a metaphor for how conflicted she is about where she is in life yeah 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 that that is fair i mean the letter that she writes to her parents when she sneaks off to go to japan early i mean that is a very sincere letter she does love and care for her family and she 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 finds it too difficult to face them to leave i mean so yeah there there is a bit of difficulty I mean, I also think that Kate is always looking for the 
her ticket out of this place and realize kind of her pattern is that she thinks that, all right, well, this is going to be glamorous and fun and it's going to get me out of there. And then when she's actually faced with the reality of the situation, all of her jobs kind of end up with drudgery in them. Barnaby's ends up having a lot of drug drudgery and, and sexual harassment and crap with it. Uh, same with bill collecting, same with being Princess Valhalla Hawkwind. I mean, with jobs have drudgery. Well, I, yeah, I know, you know, for for us in you know the, in our thirties, we're at the point where you kind of you can easily suck it up through the drudgery, and I think Kate is slowly getting to that point when she's. I mean, she frankly feels a. I, I get the sense she feels a lot less offended by the crappy parts of this job in a way. I mean, when she does say, you know, yeah, I don't really get to see anything, but I've collected all these little knickknacks and. You know, I know I can get out anytime I want to. I mean, yeah. there probably is Kate – is, Kate might be saving money. You know, she might be just getting a very big savings together well, finally. What, what, what expenses exactly. does she have? She may be, be paying some nominal rent to Charmaine you know, to help with a baby really, but that's probably about it. Yeah, keep the fridge stocked with Diet Coke and you can live here. I, I, I think that's true and, and you know – Diet I don't, Coke and romaine lettuce. Yeah. And I don't want to speculate too much on 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 you know how much Kate's making. I'm no. sure she's not making a lot of money. Um, you know, a flight attendant. Flight attendants don't make a lot of money in general. And then of course she's working again for Sky yeah. Cans. So, but at the end, at, at, at the same time, someone who's nineteen and living at home essentially, it, it probably it's decent money. I mean, if she's clearing a thousand dollars a month, yeah, that's a lot of money for her. Yeah, yeah. Hell, I'd clear a thousand dollars a month. <laughs> Well, I mean, where do you want to take this conversation? Because I really want to talk about Marshall because I think that what's happening there is actually the most interesting thing in these two episodes. Okay. Well, I I, I guess I'm – I actually don't care a lot about what Tara's doing right now. And I think that's kind of of the point of it. Yeah, I think so. Um, She is kind of in a between state. But I I guess with the the image that I – I guess the very ending of these two episodes, which is them at the bonfire and then it's switching back to Noah and Marshall and they've figured out that their film is really a love story and, you know, those – and you have half of the characters. Those are in the happiest places we've seen them, particularly uh, Max and Tara. Mm-hmm. Are, their relationship is finally going to seem okay when it's felt very fraught. Um, but then you have other characters who for whom – it's not a happy ending, and then you have, of course, what Dr. Hatteras is dealing with where he is hearing this phrase, you will not win. So I guess I guess working to that point, which, uh, I don't know, shit is going to go down in the Tara story, I guess. So let's go briefly cover that since it's the least interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that in a sense it's designed to be not that interesting. I mean, certainly the, the fact that, you know, I could watch The Altar's help out Tara and then leave yeah. for an entire episode. I mean, that's fun. And, uh, I, you and know, I like the fact that the alters are feeling like a team for the first time. Yeah, she and Alice, it's almost like they're shift-changing at work. Um, I mean, especially in, in, in the second episode when, when Beverly, their mother, comes to visit. And, yeah. you know, Neil has this whole elaborate plan to, <laughs> you know, try and con her into giving them money and buying them things. And, of course, she doesn't actually have any money because she's put her husband in a home or whatever the hell's going yeah. on. And she says it in a very 
matter of fact and a brusque way where it's just like, yeah, your father, he's not living at home anymore. And, you know, Charmaine well, Beverly is not a person who can deal with emotions. No. Like she, the second she has an emotion, it totally wrecks her. So she's repressed everything. But I think, yeah, that's true. I, w- which again, given that, which is, which could be another side effect to dealing with the fact that her husband either said, let the abusive let the kid who's sexually abusing your daughters in the house or I'll leave you. Mm. And she had to kind of – again, that was the trauma that fucking wrecked this family and that's how it wrecked Beverly. And again, we're not talking about Tara. We're talking about Beverly now because, <laughs> again, what's going on with Tara is not super interesting. Well, I think – but I think to Hatteras – which is kind of one of Hatteras's points. She's figured out this system yeah. with the altars, this contract. At this point, Buck comes in and – it seems to be working. Tara seems to think this is integration, but Hatteras's point is that, no, that's not. You're kind of fading into the background. You're letting the alters kind of be the dominant personality at times. Is, is that his point, though? Well, I, he he doesn't really seem to— be- I mean, he doesn't believe that the yes. personalities are real. So, and again, I mean, you know, we, we well, haven't talked about the, the real conception of DID versus the show's conception yeah. of DID. And I don't really want to talk about— the real DID because neither of us are psychologists and we're not qualified to talk about it in any sort of educated manner. But the show does believe that it exists. And then this, this character comes in that doesn't believe it exists. Well, I think Hatteras is in kind of a coy position because he is at one point, isn't it Max who says, you don't even believe in this. And he says, well, then I'm in a very unique position at this point. He has been faced with, incontrovertible evidence that whether whatever the reality of Tara's condition is Mm -hmm. that she is genuinely ill she this is genuinely severe she see he sees with this document uh some consistencies that aren't simply in and and so in a lot of ways Hatteras's faith is shaken he is going to be do you think so though I, I think a little bit I think part of he is definitely the person who masks sarcasm for a lot of things and let's also face it I don't think this is crumbling I think his faith in DID being shaken is he finds it kind of interesting like oh maybe maybe i'm wrong that would be interesting or maybe i'm gonna spend my time proving that she's not really happy either way he's too fascinated by this case she is a paradox to him but i but i think that that there's a couple things going on there with dr hatteras number one of course is that we don't know exactly how good of a psychologist he actually is i mean we don't he seems to be very um upset about the fact that he's stuck in this college in overland park kansas yeah we don't know why he's there i don't remember if we ever find out why he's there and you know it could just be well he wanted to move to america and this was the way he yeah. could get a work visa or something like exactly that, you know? and you see he it, seems it, it, to be building his way up and he does seem to feel that you know writing up her in a in either a paper or a book or whatever form it takes is going to be another resume credit that will give him another rung up i mean yeah i i, I do Frankly, the fact that he is so matter-of-fact about what he gets out of this is part of why, I don't know, I kind of do trust him in a way. Like, yeah. I, think, I think you can be an excellent psychologist or psychiatrist and still not have a great academic career yet. True. Then again, he's like 45. So In academic years, though, that's not that— It's like 10. 
and like also, 10 years into your career, usually. <laughs> so l- l- Let's also put it this way. Do you think he gets along too well with his coworkers, with the dean, with, you know, with the students, with the parents? I mean, let, let's face it. Hatteras is an asshole. And so I think that part part of the reason he the Kansas is the only mm-hmm. place that will take him is, and the fact that he can't get tenure at a better school is his own damn fault. Yeah, that, <laughs> that certainly could be. Yeah, he's not going to suck up. Well, I, yeah, I think that Dr. Hatteras is, is an interesting character because – there, there's a scene in the second episode, uh, The Road to Hell is Paved with Breast Intentions, and I'm going to keep saying that, <laughs> um, is, you know, he's talking about, well, I have all kinds of different facets of my personality yeah. as well. You know, I'm this person, and I'm this person, and I'm this person. Which is and, the thing that uh, Tiffany, that the show in Tiffany in the first season, when she said, oh, well, you know, women have to live so many different right. things, you know, wife, mother, you know, working, you know, and... But I don't know show- that... I don't know that he's wrong. And I think that the show is, I don't know that the show is necessarily agreeing with Dr. Hatteras that, that Tara's condition is not quote unquote real, but it is giving a different perspective on it. And I think that to some degree, Dr. Hatteras believes that the, the very fact that Tara was able to make this contract with her ulcers is more evidence for his position that DID is not a real diagnosis. Because if these were actual real personalities, you can't just like pretend yeah. that you can control them. You know, and so because you can't control other people. I can't control you. You can't control me. Well, but but at the same time we can make agreements to each other. And I guess what she's what the the question is, is the appearance of the altar something completely involuntary like a sneeze that Tara's doing? Or are they pe- which the show was definitely on the the path to in the first and second yeah. seasons and where now, yeah. some sort of some sort of emotional upset is happening to tra- that to to Tara that is triggering her to transition into another personality yeah. and that seems to have gone away now you certainly could make the argument that the alters don't necessarily uh, um you know you could make the argument that the emotional trigger is causing Tara's defenses to be lowered a little bit to allow yeah. one of the altars to come out. Now that they have this agreement, the altars are not taking advantage of that momentary lapse in yeah. emotional control to take the body. Or in a, and, and in a way, it, the, the simple... I, I, if, if you... It's very understandable that Tara has a lot of anxieties in her life, and in a way, coming up with a plan for every possible contingency is a way for her to control sure. what she figures. So she isn't going to be maybe as thrown by it just simply by having the preparation. I mean, that is something that you know legitimate therapists will talk about with people with anxiety. You know, work through the situation and all of that. So I, you know, I. Well, that's the thing, though, is I think that I think that doctor to, to kind of pick up on that point. I think that Doctor Hatteras has a very prescriptivist sort of idea of of mental illness in general, thinking that it's something maybe to him real is something chemical. You know, schizophrenia. We, we can look at a brain and we can look right. at the, and see something very concrete, or maybe. even something like clinical depression. Yeah, exactly. There's, yeah. there's something chemical going on in the brain. For However. D- well, yeah. For no, DIED, it's possible. I, I, and this is one of those where we don't know, but it's possible that Hatteras has looked at the scans of people with cases of DID and seen nothing, and so views it as a, as a, as a, as a mental complex that can be in, you know, through talk therapy figured out. And I don't think it's, 
I don't think it's incidental that I, I, I think that Dr. Hatteras is a psychologist. He's not a psychiatrist. Okay. He's not a medical doctor. Yeah. So I think that that's, you know, I don't think it's very important to the way that the show is presenting him, but it is a piece of the puzzle mm. of, of Dr. Hatteras. And it is part of how he would approach it. Yeah, right. Fair. And I think the other thing, too, there is that this whole, you know, Dr. Hatteras likes to bring up the boy who thought he was a kite. And obviously he's not a kite. A person yeah. is not a kite. But I think that's how he's approaching Tara's yeah. condition, certainly. And that might be how he approaches most mental illnesses that are not biological in nature or that do not have a biological component that is, can be proven. And in a way, he can almost kind of devil's advocate about it because his point when he's talking about, oh, I, my ex-wife, ex-wife, interesting that he's divorced, right? Um, my ex-wife used to have dreams that she would get mad at me for what I did in the dream. Now, if you're a strict 40 and you're going to find that as, you know, her subconsciously dealing with, I, I, I can feel that she would have had many legitimate reasons to be pissed off at, at him, but... You know, he says, I'm not going to take blame for something I didn't do, and I'm not going to take credit for it either. If, However, if, well, if dissociative identity disorder is real in Tara and Buck, Alice, right. T, and all of them are real living people, then Buck going and shooting the bird and Alice coming and soothing the baby, Tara isn't doing that because those are other people doing it. Mm -hmm. If they are constructs of Tara's mind, well, she's still not doing it because she's not actively doing it as herself she's not taking the credit for what she is doing and either way it's she thinks that because she has this system under control because she has this contract because she's figured out when the altars have to step in yeah. and again going with dr ocean's view of the altars are there to help you out when you need them which again dr ocean wasn't the maybe the most experienced psych psychologist in very abnormal cases. Um, obviously, Dr. Hatteras has more of that very bizarre book, you know, yeah. bo book style uh, illnesses. Uh, I, 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 I guess his point, he exists to question that framework. Are the altars there to help Tara out or are they preventing Tara from actually dealing with her problems as herself? I think that's part of it, yeah. certainly. I mean, I also think that that he doesn't necessarily care about Tara. That's I mean, that's I don't, definitely the case. The show is making it clear that this is a man who is perhaps not the best. Mm. And I, I don't well I mean, there's certain things about it that that I mean I've a couple thoughts. Number one, of course, is that for a psych for a psychologist to not understand that uh uh you know, certainly you know, people shouldn't feel obligated to apologize for things that they did not do. Yeah. However, I think that that in general, people should apologize for things that they did do that had intention that had caused intentions that yeah or, or, or results that that they did not intend. Right. And so, if I say something to you and I don't mean to offend yeah. you, but you get offended, it's weaselly for me to say, "Well, I'm not going to apologize because I didn't mean yeah. to offend you." Right. I mean, that's. You should apologize because the person is telling you their feelings and yeah. they're saying, you know what? You offended me. And you say, well, that was not my intention, but I apologize. Yeah. I mean, both parties, and, I think, need to go in good faith. I need to understand. I, I, at this point, I know you well enough to know if you say something you know, you, mistakenly, 
I'll approach you in good faith to know, you know, not to be immediately angry at you. I think that that's that's definitely true. But I, I, I yeah, the, the thing that I keep getting stuck on with Dr. Hatteras is that thing about his wife having dreams that upset her and he's yeah. doing things in the dreams that upset her. And Dr. And Dr. Hatteras's initial and only answer to that is I would not apologize for things that I did not do. And for a psychologist to to not want to go yeah. deeper with that and say, why is she having these dreams? I mean, yeah. why is she? Am I doing stuff that that offends her or upsets her that she is not telling me and that are, is manifesting those yes. emotions in her dreams? And I am doing bad things in her dreams. You know, for me, it's just like he's not that interested in people. Yeah, in a way, he he. Which is a very different view of a different type of psychologist that we've seen on the show. Again, Dr. Ocean had her shortcomings, but she very much cared about Tara and Max and cared about their relationship. The doctor at the clinic, again, I don't even remember her name, but he was much more – he had a much more compassionate bedside manner. Shoshana is an impression of a psychologist, but she is one who is very caring and very – Maybe a little too invested in the lives of her, her of her patients. Yeah, uh, Doctor Hatteras is very different from all of those, and in a way, he's viewing it as academic detachment. I think that's part of. If you ask Doctor Hatteras why he thought he was such a good th- therapist, I think he would cite his detachment. From and I that. was I was actually about to say that. I mean, that may not necessarily be a bad thing. Yeah, someone not indulging Tara. I may, may be a good thing. Well, again, in this case of the book that he ha- has, where where this man is terrified to leave his apartment, um, d- he he wasn't cured by Hatter saying, "Well, it's okay, all right." Mm-hmm. You know, he was. We we you can have an idea of what his process with this guy was and how he came to act eventually have an active real life. And I think, yeah, and I think that maybe the final point about this is that. It's quite a bit different to work with someone who thinks they're a kite than it is to work with someone who has seven different personalities. Yes. And I don't know that Dr. Hatteras is internalizing that. Yeah, because he is definitely cocky. I think the scene with the rat, it, it's— I was gonna, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm like, what? That obviously is in there for a reason. Yeah. And I cannot figure out what that reason was. I mean, he's— his attempt I, – I, I think it's a metaphor for his entire process. I mean you have Tara who is understandably grossed out by the fact that there is a rat in – and apparently that's who was shitting in the box maybe. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, when Dr. Hatteras has a problem, he sees it. He's going to be obsessed with figuring it out. As gross as it is, he's going to fucking fix it because he's Dr. Hatteras. Even if fixing it involves throwing a thing out a window, he's going to put traps to kill it. His attempt at consoling Tara is this really funny line about, you know, well, think of them as little cats and this bit strokes its back and he lives forever. Like, he's obviously, you know, that's obvious bullshit. And then, I mean... When he actually catches it, he interrupts her session, grabs it by the tail, and is all fucking proud of his trophy. I think that's how it, – it, that's the closest metaphor to Dr. Hatteras's process that I can think of. So Dr. Hatteras is a cat. Pretty much. Okay. Someone yeah. should spray him with water then. Well, you know, we, we – we, I, I, I think you know about spraying with water in this rest of the season, so – all right, well, let's let's move on to, to Marshall then. Okay. 
Because it's, I don't know, it's sad. It's sad. He's, Marshall is doing everything horrible about this breakup to poor Lionel because he's a dumb 17-year-old. And yes, you know, I don't fault him in every way, but like, oh, when he like pays for the cameras, like I I don't even have enough to pay you back, but I'll take the camera. You know, it's like, like, that's the biggest fuck you to Lionel. Like, oh my God. Yeah, I, I... I don't know. But Lionel. he's not uh, – well, again, I don't think Marshall is doing it to be cruel. He's just – He's clueless. He's – again, he's – this is his first relationship. He's 17. Is he? I think. I think he's 16. If then Kate again, is Kate's, 19. Then again, Kate's 47, so I don't – Well, I, don't I lost know. my virginity at 17, so I assume that's what Marshall – Max is. Marshall. Marshall. Oversharing. Yeah, I, I – you know, Lionel is someone who I, I grew to really like. He's obviously a character that puts on a tough exterior because he is a marshmallow inside. And <gasps> and what's Marshall's nickname? <laughs> and I think that Marshall is – you know, I don't know what Marshall was thinking here. I think that, you know, Lionel and Marshall getting together was was obviously kind of a bad idea. I, I think that Lionel liked Marshall obviously a lot more than than Marshall liked Lionel. I don't think that Marshall yeah. was going into it with bad, bad intentions, but he he sort of realized that that Lionel was not not the guy for him. And well, again, you're you're he six- gets you know he gets yeah. confronted with this other you know cute little boy Noah and is able to to make a move and you know which is well. I, I I think uh, I'm thinking about the scene how they ended up getting together through this three way. They felt very awkward about it. It almost seems like Lionel subconsciously forcing the issue. Recog- you know, yeah. again, Lionel is very self destructive in a lot of ways, and this is this is a weird way of torpedoing the relationship. He in a way pushes Noah and Marshall together, and is like, "All right, well, why don't why don't you two fuck?" and they do, <laughs> and it's it's everything wrong. Well, know? they haven't yet, but I I don't know if I agree with that though. I I, I don't because we don't the thing the thing about it is it's hard that's hard to to talk about is that we just don't have enough information. Yeah, we don't have enough context. You know, if if we're lucky, we get you know two scenes with with Marshall and and Lionel in an episode. Yeah. We don't get a lot of screen time with them. And you know, partly that's understandable. This is the United States of Terra. This is yeah. not, you know, the Marshall show. Uh <laughs> as much as I would like that. But the other thing is is that, you know, I don't think that Lionel Lionel I think that that threesome for Lionel was more about looking urbane and performing homosexual male behavior in the only way that he knew how to. And this is what he thinks gay men do. Marshall's not interested in that. Now, of course, Lionel, as we talked about when that, that scene happened last week or the week before was not really taking Marshall's feelings about this into consideration. But where I thought that that storyline was going to go was that that was Lionel trying to fuck Noah in a way that was okay with Marshall, but they, yeah. Cause I don't, I don't think that Lionel has any real interest in Noah. And the, the sad thing is I, I, I kind of feel like Marshall is, is still a little bit hung up on, you know, I hate this word cause it's overused, but, but the heteronormativity of yeah. it, because Lionel obviously is uh, much more, shall we say, traditionally gay um, than, than Noah is. And you know, I, I don't know that Marshall was ever completely comfortable with that. Um, at the same time, 
Noah is kind of a blank slate. We don't really know much about him. And he seems nice, but but he's not um, challenging Marshall in the same way that Lionel was able to. Well, uh, on, he is, though, a, in, in a little bit in his way. I mean, as number one, I think Noah's love of film is much closer to Marshall's love of film. He was getting sure. Lionel sure. into that. And while I doubt I, – I, I don't think in any way that the passion that Lionel ended up developing for film – was was you, you know you know what I mean like like he is genuinely feeling about this movie he's excited about it this is he may not be quite as talented as Marshall and Noah at are and he that may be the reason he got into it but I think Noah's interest in it was developed longer and so it's more of a thing they have in common and so they the two of them are going to go far with this they their we'll talk about their movie in a second but. Also, the way that I mean, as pretentious as Noah's, well, I don't lie. That's it's a rule with me. But the way that he says, like, I don't like jazz, and Marshall's like, well, I don't fucking care. I like jazz. Like that. That's resolving a lot. That's how they resolve their lack of interest. It's not a really a fight. I suppose so, and I, I, I think that I mean the jazz scene is interesting to me only because I think both of them are right. Yeah, I think Noah's saying, "Look, I don't like jazz." And Marshall's like, "Well, you're, you're yeah, you're no, in that's, my room." So that's okay. how you handle disagreements in music. I mean, let's face it; probably then they're going to listen to jazz because they're in the middle of listening to jazz right now. Next time, Noah can pick the music. I mean, that's how music compromises work. Oh, I thought you were going to say they're listening to jazz right now because they're making out. I don't listen to jazz when I make out. I like heavy metals. I mean, you know, Lois, well, so does Dr. Hatteras. Yeah. Actually, he likes death metal, uh, <laughs> which kind of makes sense, I yeah. suppose. Well, I mean, before we move on to Marshall's movie, because I think that that might be the last thing we talk about this week. But um, but what about Max's plot? Max has so much going on. Oh, my God. These are so deep. And we haven't even talked about Charmaine. And Neil and, and, Who, and what's what's going on with Max? He's working for Urgulon and he's having the same exact day every day. And he and Tara are dealing with the fact of are are seriously dealing with the fact of in a couple of years it's gonna be just them and the, Tara is dealing with the fact that they've always had the impression that they're gonna fix Tara somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh that they're gonna figure out the but at this at at, at this point there have been two people already, and now we have the name of a third who were the cause of Tara's disorder. And I think Tara's starting to realize the pattern her life is in. What if yeah. figuring out who, who and what br- happened with Bryce Crane doesn't fix her? What if there's another name? Like, how deep is this rabbit g- hole going to go? I, what if they never find the end? I don't think there is one. And, and I think that's where Tara's kind of starting to... To, to guess. Yeah, you know, again, she's – which may be part of where – and again, Dr. Hatteras feels that there is a way of fixing her that isn't mm-hmm. based around finding out the root of her problems. Let's – you know, it doesn't seem like he's interested in what caused Tara as no. in the way that Dr. Ocean or the one at the clinic well, were. I mean to a certain degree, what what does it really matter? Exactly. I mean, it doesn't, right? It's not. It's not going to fix her, quote unquote. Well, I, I, I think, yeah, I think that's right. I think that that Tara and Max, you know, starting to to perhaps consciously realize that their kids yeah. are going to leave the house because, of course, you know, I mean, maybe Kate's going to live there the rest of her life. Who knows? But Marshall's obviously going to go off to New York and be super gay. Um, 
And that sounds like a great time. And he's going to have a lot of fun in his 20s. I have probably met up with that kid at some point if the, the ages match up. <laughs> but I, I think the show is doing something very astute here, which is that it is repivoting the show back to, you know, being somewhat about Max and, and Tara's relationship, their marriage, their love affair. You know, we get the the revelation in this episode of sort of like the tapes that exist and, yeah. you know, uh, 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 Max sitting around. and It's kind of how we picture their life to be. And it's kind right. of. I, I, but I think it's, 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 it is deeper than that, though, because I think it really does concretely show that their relationship did start out with love and max does say in this episode you know like she was who who asked him that question you know why did you stay or why did you that was marshall he's right marshall is because remember a few a few episodes ago marshall talking to her dad is is are you gonna would you ever leave mom like grandpa did right he doesn't and he remember he never got an answer to that marshall doesn't know why dad is staying and maybe he's thinking that Dad has always wanted to leave. Well, I think that it, you know, their 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 emotional plot lines are syncing up in a way, of course. Yeah. Because Marshall's a romantic. Marshall wants love. I think that's partially why Marshall was not uh, uh, reacting as much to Lionel as Lionel was reacting to Marshall, because Lionel yeah. was the one. Marshall was the one showing Lionel that there was a different way to be gay. You could be romantic. You could be all yeah. these things, right? But uh, Marshall wants that, and I think that Noah is more of an appropriate match for him at this point in his yeah. life, perhaps. But However, Marshall doesn't lose anything from breaking up. Lionel loses a lot and doesn't even have the camera to express himself now. Right. That's true. <laughs> and I think at the, at the same time, Marshall asking these questions of Max and Max, you know, just out of saying, look, I loved her. You know, I, I didn't. I Max is a simple guy. And yeah. I don't I don't mean simple in, well, the, in the offensive way. I mean, simple as in he's you know, he just he's he's not complicated. Well, I, I, I think part of it is that. Marshall and you know, that Max and Tara's lifestyle when they're 20 is is the opposite of what Marshall would like. I mean, they're living in a shitty apartment with Neil, who is apparently hot back in the day and, you know, drinking beers and, you know, playing guitar. And, you know, they they were burnout hippies, you know, as Max said that they were, you know, smoking a lot of pot in those days. Like, are they hippies or were they like grunge guys? Kind of, you know, in between the two. It they was were, 1991. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, Marshall sees that and he sees like such a shitty life. And so he can't think like. Why would why would you ever want to do that? I, do you, do you, I, I think that's part of it. And for Max, this as you said, he's a simple guy, just having his girl and his best friend, and she's gonna have his baby, and you know he's gonna be a rock star, and it's fun. Like that was a very happy time in his life. I don't know that I agree with with your interpretation of what Marshall sees when he watches that, okay. because you know he's making this semi fake stop motion movie with Noah and. At the end of the second episode, he he kind of comes to the 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 crux of what this movie is, which is yeah. a love story. But number one, and that's Noah saying that. I thought no, Marshall said. That. Oh, it was. And so I, I think that you know Marshall, whatever Marshall thinks about the the living standards <laughs> of his parents when they were twenty, is not relevant. What he is seeing is the emotion, the love there. Of course, also. He says, was mom drinking a beer while she was pregnant? But again, I think it takes him a little while. It takes him the episode to get to that point, though. I think when he first sees it, he sees this. I don't don't agree. I don't agree. But, you know, that's just a difference of of how we're interpreting that. So it's not a big deal. But I think that what the the real, you know, the real point there is that he does get to that place. And he does see that as a love story. He sees the love that his parents have for each other. And, and. 
at the end of the day, that's the answer for why they're still together. Yeah. They love each other. And that's enough. Yeah. Again, them, them at the bonfire, it took a while to get to that point, but they will figure it out. Well, I think that's it. We uh, didn't really talk about Tremaine and Neil this week, but um, they're having a baby and doing heterosexual stuff, and that's <laughs> fine for them. And I am guess I'm happy for them. Well, I mean, Marshall says he's very – thanks God that he's straight. He's not straight when he sees the baby. So I have often felt that way when I see babies. So I'm with Marshall on that. Well, I think that's it for this episode of Tuning In. If you have any thoughts on either of the episodes we just discussed of the United States of Terror, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at tuninginshow.com. You can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash trekaboutshow, which, coincidentally enough, also supports our other podcast, Trekabout, our much longer-running other podcast, Trekabout. We are talking about the DS9 episodes Penumbra and Till Death Do Us Part next Tuesday, so you should listen to that. We're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our username is Tuning In Show on all those places. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for tuning in. It is very much appreciated. And, and it is the best way for new listeners to... I forget what you say. This is February 9th. It would be a wonderful Valentine's present for me and Richard if you gave us an iTunes review. Or a belated Groundhog's Day present. Or a belated Groundhog's Day present. Or an early Good Friday present. President's Day, Lincoln's birthday. All of those things. And if you're not American, then... You are really fucking lucky. Because yeah. we've had Trump as a president for three weeks now. <laughs> <sighs> All right. We're getting towards the end of United States of Terra. And United States of America. <laughs> there are three episodes of the podcast left. Really? Six episodes of United States of Terra. Oh, my God. And then we will be starting our... Next show, I believe this week, I'm going to start dropping hints to see if anybody can guess. It's going to be a little game. Okay. I think the first hint will be... That you are going to drop hints to the mystery, and that is a game. There you go. That's a good one. Thank you. All right. Well, next week, we're going to be talking about the electrifying and magnanimous return of Beaver Lamp. Oh, yes. And chicken and corn. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Mac, why do you...